0: Let me welcome today uh, Fleur Hayworth, who is the head of gender and inclusive security at the GCSP. And she's also hosting the secretariat of the International Gender Champions Network. And i um, very pleased to have you here to kick off the series, Fleur.
1: Thanks so much, Lisa.
0: Fleur, um, I was hoping you could tell us how did you actually get into this field because you started with a degree in geology? Geography. Yeah.
1: Geography. So, geography. How did you absolutely. Have... <laughs> how did I end up in peace and security? So um, I wanted to understand more about the world, about spaces and places and power and how we've evolved and human relations and geography seemed like a good place to start. And indeed it was Um, and my academic studies uh, exposed me to a lot of theories and concepts and then I realised that in my professional career I really wanted to get into practice and really understand people's everyday problems and how they related to policy Mm -hmm. and I decided to do that through the channel of law. I became a barrister uh, and started with common law, touching on everything and then specialised in family law. And I always had a real interest in child protection, um, as I think children are the future of our societies and how we are caring for and nurturing them and creating opportunities for them is critical. But in every society, we have children that are vulnerable and exposed um, to difficult situations. So the family and law. I practice, suppose you
0: come across a lot of those in the court system then. Huge, yeah. yeah. Huge,
1: huge elements of. Um, of vulnerability uh, and also from the parents, right? Often these cycles perpetuate between generations or they're very challenging circumstances which force people into situations they'd never anticipated they would be in. Um, and so there is a role for society and the state to step in and support. But what I discovered in family law was certainly certainly in the UK, um, there was a lot of firefighting, there was a lot of dealing with problems too late. Yeah, uh, and that led me to want to get more involved in the policy work and prevention and think about how can we create a better future. Um, and so it was a slightly uh, unplanned route to the Geneva Center Security Policy uh, started with a family move to Geneva. Um, and a maternity leave uh, for my two children um, which allowed me to take up um, a position at the uk mission here working on human rights and international humanitarian law Mm -hmm. and it was really in that space that i realized that gender equality was certainly on the international agenda Mm -hmm. and that there was a lot more work to be done Uh, and so i started working on it there and uh, it led me to the geneva center for security policy uh, to become cluster leader Uh, for gender and inclusive security uh, three and a half years ago.
0: Mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit more about your uh, role and your responsibilities and the work that you do at the GCSP and with the International Gender Champions?
1: Absolutely. So, um, as you said, I've got two hats, two roles. Um, The first within GCSP is around education, executive education, dialogue, and policy analysis, uh, which are core pillars of our work. Um, And so, my role is to integrate a gender perspective into the work we do, but also to develop tailored activities um, to support uh, uh, gender and inclusive security policies being developed mm. uh, and so i do that through uh, participation and facilitation in the longer courses and the advanced courses we run and also some customized courses uh, that we offer as well as um, some open enrollment courses that are shorter uh, for two areas that i've identified um, there's a, there's a niche for us uh, there's many people doing fantastic things in this space so i yeah. have to figure out so you know what our where's our unique Mm-hmm. space and um for me there's a, still a huge participation gap uh for women um and equal representation is lacking not just in security sector but um in private sector yeah. um, and across the system and so there is a space for uh, tailored uh, courses to support women uh who are overcoming gender barriers uh and seeking to progress their careers so we have um courses for women that also we've uh, applied for women's security women in mediation uh, more specific security related spaces Mm -hmm. Um, and we're also then looking to work with male and female leaders to advance more inclusive and enabling environments and so we have a leveraging diversity course um, where we're really trying to explore how do we nurture inclusion and participation more broadly? And we know from research that that actually leads to best performance, better workplace cultures anyway. And yeah. how do we do that? And what are the challenges in doing that? It's not a simple tick box exercise. There are many tensions that we have to navigate along the way.
0: So. Yeah, I think that's really key. You know, I think there's uh, a lot of willingness um, and awareness, but you know, how do you actually make it happen? And how do you figure out what it is that's not working? You know, so that you can fix it yeah
1: absolutely it 's moving from the policies to practices, um, yeah. and that 's what we see a lot with gender equality that there 's all the roadmaps and the plans, but ha- what do it actually mean in terms of everyday interactions, um, and so we 've also developed uh, a number of policy analyses, but recently um, policy briefs that are really short they're two pages, and the idea is to say, okay what 's this concept, whether it 's inclusive security or a gender lens. Um, why is it important, and what do you actually do uh, to help it move forward um, in mm. practical terms, whether it's uh, gathering disaggregated data or um, shifting mindsets um, around these topics? Mm.
0: So, it's my understanding that the, the um, gender champions are quite focused on actions.
1: Um, absolutely absolutely so um, just over a year ago the GCSP was asked to incubate the secretariat of the initiative um, and I was asked to take that responsibility on uh, to lead that work and the gender champions was founded in 2015 and I think it's quite a special network it's tripartite um, it's so it's government civil society and international organizations and it's their leaders coming together to make personal commitments to advance gender equality. So as you say, it's very much action orientated. Um, One core pillar is a panel parity pledge that every champion commits to not sit on a single sex panel. And simply by having that pledge, it opens up a space to question organizers about the composition of panels, where the experts are coming from, to give women more voice and visibility in multilateral
0: fora. It's funny how something so simple but yet actionable can have such a big impact you know because i was i i heard some of the stories about that and it was uh you know actually making a huge difference isn't it
1: huge difference um and it's it's shifted the norm so Mm -hmm. from them being from single sex panels being acceptable to being unacceptable and so Mm -hmm. whilst we still may see some single sex panels take place people question it now and Mm -hmm. question that that isn't um, yeah they're so,
0: like what's what's well, the matter, what's the matter? <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and actually that is becoming more yeah. of an issue is all female panels on topics related to gender equality than it mm-hmm. is on all male panels um mm-hmm. so yes so that's the first part of the initiative um pillars and then there was also two personal commitments that champions make and they are champion they sorry they are commitments that the champions perceive themselves to be the most impactful within their sphere of influence. So it may be that they consider um, that a new policy is needed, that um, a new programmatic uh, area is needed, it may be that they want to support and mentor more women within their organization. Mm -hmm. or they want to advocate for something so it's um it's flexible it's inclusive uh, and it's also impactful we Mm -hmm. ask champions to make new commitments each year and we survey them and and measure progress
0: well and it's really great too that you can share these different initiatives because it can spark um, you know that's what i could try you know in in other people i mean the sharing i think is also really powerful
1: Exactly. This this change that we need to see for gender equality is, is very much social uh, and it's mm-hmm. driven by peer exchange, inspiration, accountability, um, that we support each other in mm-hmm. making that change that we're not likely to be able to do it alone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, because I think it was you that said in your most recent policy brief that gender is a social construct, <laughs> you know, so... Yes, um,
1: we, we've collectively determined what it what it yeah.
0: means and how it gets uh, lived out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you first was to ask if you could sort of lay out uh, when we talk about the Beijing Declaration and um, thirteen twenty five to sort of lay out what is it that they say? Uh, why were they so meaningful? What impact did they have? Um, so could you maybe? Start with the Beijing Declaration and just, you know, because everybody knows the line women's rights are humans, human rights. Right? Yes.
1: But it's, it's, there's absolutely.
0: a whole bunch of stuff in there.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Women's rights are human rights. was really enshrined in hearts and minds as well as in the Declaration of Beijing in 1995. Um, and Hillary Clinton uh, was a person who so strongly advocated that point. Um, it seems remarkable that it took till 1995 for that to become... Um, such a political uh, statement uh, that either it was it was um, needed uh, or it was so it was so celebrated Uh, it almost Mm -hmm. seems remarkable but it was and Beijing was so significant because of the number of people that participated 17,000 participants and 30,000 activists and it was a fourth world conference on women. Um, and of course, we have the Commission on the Status of Women annually in New York, evaluating progress, but Beijing was the moment where um, there was a real roadmap set out for action and progress, and 12 critical areas were identified, uh, including the environment, women in power and decision-making, the girl child, women in the economy, poverty, violence against women, human rights of women feeding into that quote that's so famous, education and training, Mm. institutional mechanisms, women and health, women in the media, and women in armed conflict. Mm. Um, And so there was a lot of political will at the time to drive forward action on those critical areas.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there are areas that um, women are especially impacted, I think, right? yes
1: we still see this big discrepancies in the way either women have access to opportunities or they are um, have access to resources in those areas or that they are impacted adversely um by the negative consequences of conflict
0: or um poverty etc mm. so yeah. 5 years later uh the united nations security council had, had you know the other breakthrough was the uh, Resolution 1325. What was significant about, about that?
1: Well, this was another um, big movement by civil society. And the objective was to really reframe the way that Security Council was approaching women in peace and security mm-hmm. to shift the perception that they were victims of mm-hmm. conflict, to see their role as agents of change. Um, and so the four pillars were developed around participation that women should have an equal place at the table around prevention having a feminist lens to the root causes of conflict and how it could be prevented um, around uh, relief and recovery um, which um, is big in the humanitarian space uh, and protection um, which is around um, particularly gender-based violence sexual and gender-based violence in conflict and so um, those four pillars have sort of again been a roadmap within peace and security. Uh, and they've been accompanied by nine subsequent resolutions. Um, and of course, women um, have many different roles in in conflict they're not all peacemakers they're not all victims some are even perpetrators um, but it's really trying to open up the space for that analysis for more effective and responsive policy making and every government is asked to make a national action plan to implement um, the pillars of the of the resolution um, both for domestically and in terms of foreign policy Uh, and so it's a mechanism it's a space to create
0: that policy development. So, uh, twenty years have passed. Um, any sense of? I mean, what's what's your opinion in terms of how successful the agenda has been uh, advanced? or
1: Beijing,
0: or let's focus on thirteen twenty-five. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So thirteen twenty-five. There's still huge gaps in terms of resources, funding, political will. Um, we still see, uh, I think, another, many governments still need to develop a national action plans. I think it's 70% have one, but there's still a lot of room for improvement there. Um, and fundamentally, uh, we are still seeing growing conflict And inequality and the drivers of conflict are still there and they're still getting bigger and they have a gendered dimension to them. And so actually this brings us back to Beijing because peace and security isn't something you fix in
0: isolation. It's Mm -hmm.
1: related to everything else that's going on in society. And so when you look at how um, UN and member states are approaching the anniversary of Beijing, it's to say... There's both these action areas that need to be focused on, which still include gender based violence, climate justice, technology, uh, mm-hmm. data, and, and, uh, and, and others. But there's also these broader levers around social norms. Mm-hmm. Seeing these topics as affecting everybody, not just women, but men. And boys and people who don't identify as male or women, that this is all-encompassing. Um, that we need to address some structural inequalities in the economy, in politics, in our organisations. Um, that we need to gather more data. That we need to disaggregate data to see the differential impacts of policies on different people within our societies. Yeah. And um, so these these levers um, kind of represent the fact that. There may be some agendas, but we need a systemic approach. We need a holistic approach um, and it's a shift in mindset, um, as well as policies and practices to make progress.
0: Well, my uh, last question was going to be around, what do you think are the most urging and pressing next steps? Um, So I guess what I would ask is, how would you change these mindsets? How would you approach things more systemically? Well, I think... And what to do next is always a really tough question. (laughs) It is a really
1: tough question. Um, I do think we have to start with ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think we have to start uh, with our own relations within the home Mm -hmm. and within the workplace. That's within our influence. All of us can can make a difference there. Mm -hmm. Um, To question what outdated mental models and ways of thinking that we have. um, And to really question... Uh, what we need to do um, regardless of our gender uh, so that we we question the roles that may have been socially conditioned but think about how do we as individuals um, advance and support others around us to advance to the best of their capability and not be limited um, by those conditions and then if we are being limited to really see what those barriers are and Mm. to try and overcome them and I think we know that there are some barriers which really are problems to solve they're things like more family-friendly policies you know shared parental leave childcare infrastructure flexible working embedded as a norm within organizations Mm -hmm. Um, those are problem solving areas um, laws that need to be uh, improved and made more equal etc and then there are some areas that I consider it a piece of tensions that we have to navigate that aren't going to go away, Um, and that is the relationship between men and women. If you start to categorize and stereotype, we can't get away from the fact that we do have uh, two sexes, Um, and so there are different characteristics, different um, different different ways that uh, they manifest themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Individually and in society, and so we have to work with that.
0: And yeah, yeah, uh, and well, and make society better for our, our young boys and girls. You know, exactly, exactly.
1: It's certainly not um, about marginalising men; it's about saying, okay, how do we make this work for everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the, the other big area that I think is 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 huge is around the climate action, in fact, um, and sort of you know seeing that. As we take this holistic approach um, and we question the structures the inequalities that are manifesting themselves mm. that we don't just look at the human ecosystem but we look at our natural environment as well and how we relate to that and i think when you look at some of the most inspiring women's movements for peace mm. um, they are the grassroots movements where they're making so much with so few resources um and they're really showing that um there is huge value in um human empowerment in human knowledge uh human creativity um and that we can make changes um if we create the right conditions for that change to happen
0: yeah well you know it was a certain mindset um, that brought us to this point where our, our planet, planet is suffering. So I, I think it's, that's an excellent point that you've made. Um, so closing, in closing, uh, and you just mentioned inspiring. I would like to ask you for one of your favorite inspiring quotes.
1: So there are so many, but the one I would like to share is one by Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. Uh, an american poet uh, and writer and she said that she realized that um, people will forget what you said mm-hmm. they might forget what you did but they will never forget how you made them feel um, and that's something that i try to remember regularly um, as life takes over to really try and center myself and think about how i'm connecting to other people
0: mm-hmm. Well, I would like to thank you for making me feel um, more secure knowing that we have people like you who are working to make this uh, world a better, more peaceful and secure place. And um, thanks so much for joining me and getting this uh, webcast series off to a great start. Thank you so much, Fleur.
1: Thanks, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Good luck.
0: (laughs) Thanks. The new normal, it's anything but... And yet we still connect, we talk, we try to fix the world. Thank you for joining me in this conversation about the State of the Women, Peace, and Security Agenda on the occasion of the 20th anniversary of UN Security Council Resolution 1325. And thanks as well to my guests for sharing their expertise, wisdom, and time. If you enjoy meeting these wonderful folks as much as I do, please subscribe to us on Apple, iTunes, or YouTube, and follow us on Spotify or SoundCloud. I hope to see you again on another episode of the mini series, Tea at 1325.